0: Section 3 of The Colonel's Dream. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The Colonel's Dream by Charles Chestnut. Section 3, Chapter 3. When the Colonel and Phil had removed the dust and disorder of travel from their appearance, they went down to dinner. After they had eaten, the Colonel, still accompanied by the child, left the hotel, and following the main street for a short distance, turned into another thoroughfare bordered with ancient elms, and stopped for a moment before an old grey house with high steps and broad piazza, a large, square-built, two-storied house with a roof sloping down toward the front broken by dormer windows and buttressed by a massive brick chimney at either end in spite of the gray monotone to which the paintless years had reduced the once white weatherboarding and green venetian blinds the house possessed a certain stateliness of style which was independent of circumstance and a solidity of construction that resisted sturdily the disintegrating hand of time heart pine and live oak mused the colonel like other things southern live long and die hard the old house had been built of the best materials and its woodwork dowelled and mortised and tongued and grooved by men who knew their trade and had not learned to scamp their work for the colonel's grandfather had built the house as a town residence the family having owned in addition thereto a handsome country place upon a large plantation remote from the town the colonel had stopped on the opposite side of the street and was looking intently at the home of his ancestors and of his own youth when a neatly dressed coloured girl came out on the piazza seated herself in a rocking-chair with an air of proprietorship and opened what the colonel perceived to be even across the street a copy of a woman's magazine whose circulation as he knew from the advertising rates that french and company had paid for the use of its columns touched the million mark not wishing to seem rude the colonel moved slowly on down the street when he turned his head after going a rod or two and looked back over his shoulder the girl had risen and was re-entering the house her disappearance was promptly followed by the notes of a piano slightly out of tune to which some one presumably the young woman was singing in a high voice which might have been better had it been better trained I dreamt that i dwelt in marble halls with vassals and serfs at my side the colonel had slackened his pace at the sound of the music but after the first few bars started forward with quickened footsteps which he did not relax until little phil's weight increasing momentarily brought home to him the consciousness that his stride was too long for the boy's short legs phil who was a thoroughbred and would have dropped in his tracks without complaining was nevertheless relieved when his father's pace returned to the normal their walk led down a hill and very soon to a wooden bridge which spanned a creek some twenty feet below the colonel paused for a moment beside the railing and looked up and down the stream it seemed narrower and more sluggish than his memory had pictured it above him the water ran between high banks grown thick with underbrush and overarching trees Below the bridge, to the right of the creek, lay an open meadow, and to the left, a few rods away, the ruins of the old Eureka cotton-mill, which in his boyhood had harboured a flourishing industry, but which had remained since Sherman's army laid waste the country, the melancholy ruin the colonel had seen at last, when, twenty-five years or more before, he left Clarendon to seek a wider career in the outer world. The clear water of the creek rippled harmoniously down a gentle slope and over the site where the great dam at the foot had stood, while birds were nesting in the vines, with which kindly nature had sought to cloak the dismantled and crumbling walls. Mounting the slope beyond the bridge, the colonel's stride now carefully accommodated to the child's puny step, they skirted a low brick wall beyond which white headstones gleamed in a mass of verdure reaching an iron gate the colonel lifted the latch and entered the cemetery which had been the object of their visit is this the place papa asked the little boy yes phil but it is farther on in the older part they passed slowly along under the drooping elms and willows past the monuments on either hand here resting on a low brick wall a slab of marble once white now gray and moss-grown from which the hand of time had well nigh erased the carved inscription here a family vault built into the side of a mound of earth from which only the barred iron door distinguished it here a pedestal with a time-worn angel holding a broken fragment of the resurrection trumpet here a prostrate headstone and there another bending to its fall and among them a profusion of rose bushes on some of which the early roses were already blooming scarcely a well-kept cemetery for in many lots the shrubbery grew in wild unpruned luxuriance nor yet entirely neglected since others showed the signs of loving care and an effort had been made to keep the walks clean and clear father and son had traversed half the width of the cemetery when they came to a spacious lot surrounded by large trees and containing several monuments it seemed less neglected than the lots about it, and as they drew nigh they saw among the tombs a very black and seemingly aged negro engaged in pruning a tangled rose-tree. Near him stood a dilapidated basket, partially filled with weeds and leaves, into which he was throwing the dead and superfluous limbs. He seemed very intent upon his occupation, and had not noticed the colonel's and Phil's approach until they had paused at the side of the lot and stood looking at him when the old man became aware of their presence he straightened himself up with the slow movement of one stiff with age or rheumatism and threw them a tentatively friendly look out of a pair of faded eyes how'd it do uncle said the colonel will you tell me whose graves these are that you are caring for yes sah said the old man removing his battered hat respectfully the rest of his clothing was in keeping a picturesque assortment of rags and patches such as only an old negro can get together or keep together this here a lot sir belongs to the family that i used to belong to the old french family sir the finest family in beaver county why papa cried little phil he means hush phil go on uncle yes sir the finest family in clarendon sir THIS HERE HEADSTONE HERE, SIR, AND a LITTLE STONE AT THE FOOT, REPRESENTS THE GRAVE OF OLD GENERAL FRENCH, WHAT FIT IN THE REVOLUTION WAR, SIR. AND THIS HERE ONE, NEXT TO IT, IS THE GRAVE OF MY OLD MASTER, MAJOR FRENCH, WHAT FIT IN THE MEXICAN WAR, AND DIED AND JOINED THE WAR WITH THE Yankees, SIR. PAPA, URGED PHIL, THAT'S MY— SHUT UP, PHIL. WELL, UNCLE, did this interesting old family die out, or is it represented in the present generation? Lord, no, sir. The family didn't die out. Deed they didn't die out. They ain't the kind of family to die out. But it's most as bad, sir. They's moved away. Young Mas Henry went to the north, and they say he's got rich. But he ain't been back no more, sir. And I don't know whether he's ever coming or no you must have been very fond of them to take such good care of their graves said the colonel much moved but giving no sign well sir i belong to the family and i ain't got no chick nor a child of my own living and he's here dead folks pears more closer to me than anybody else the colored folks don't waste much time with a old man what ain't got nothing and he's here new white folks what has come up since the war ain't got no use for niggers now that they don't belong to nobody no more. So when I ain't got nothing else to do, I comes round here where I knows everybody and everybody knows me and trims the rose bushes and pulls up the weeds and keeps the grass down just like I suppose Mars Henry'd had it done if he'd a lived here in the old home, of away off yonder in the north where he's so busy making money that he don't forgot all about his own folks. What is your name? asked the Colonel, who had been looking closely at the old man. Peter, sir, Peter French. Most of the niggers changed their names after the war. But I kept the old family name I was raised by. It was good enough for me, sir. They ain't none better. Oh, papa, said little Phil, unable to restrain himself longer, he must be some kin to us. He has the same name and belongs to the same family. And you know you called him uncle. The old negro had dropped his hat and was staring at the colonel and the little boy alternately with dawning amazement, while a look of recognition crept slowly into his rugged old face. Look a here, sir, he said tremulously. Is it it can't be. But there's the eyes and the nose and the shape of the head. Why it must be my young Mars Henry. Yes, said the Colonel extending his hand to the old man who grasped it with both his own and shook it up and down with unconventional but very affectionate vigour and you are my boy peter who took care of me when i was no bigger than phil here this meeting touched a tender chord in the colonel's nature already turned to sympathy with the dead past of which peter seemed the only survival the old man's unfeigned delight at their meeting his retention of the family name a living witness of its former standing. His respect for the dead, his family pride which to the unsympathetic outsider might have seemed grotesque, were proofs of loyalty that moved the Colonel deeply. When he himself had been a child of five or six his father had given him Peter as his own boy. Peter was really not many years older than the Colonel, but prosperity had preserved the one while hard luck had aged the other prematurely peter had taken care of him and taught him to paddle in the shallow water of the creek and to avoid the suck-holes had taught him simple woodcraft how to fish and how to hunt first with bow and arrow and later with a shotgun. through the golden haze of memory the colonel's happy childhood came back to him with a sudden rush of emotion those were good times peter when we were young he sighed regretfully good times i've seen none happier yes sir yes sir deed dem was good old times sure they was sir show sure they was remember them cornstock fiddles we used to make and them elderberry wood whistles yes peter and the robins we used to shoot and the rabbits we used to trap and them watermelons sir mm yes returned the colonel with a shade of pensiveness there had been two sides to the watermelon question peter and he had not always been able to find ripe watermelons early in the season and at times there had been painful consequences the memory of which came back to the colonel with surprising ease nor had they always been careful about boundaries in those early days there had been one occasion when an irate neighbour had complained and major french had thrashed henry and peter both peter because he was older and knew better and henry because it was important that he should have impressed upon him early in life that of him to whom much is given much will be required and that what might be lightly regarded in peter's case would be a serious offence in his future masters the lesson had been well learned for throughout the course of his life the colonel had never shirked responsibility but had made the performance of duty his criterion of conduct. To him the line of least resistance had always seemed the refuge of the coward and the weakling. With the twenty years preceding his return to Clarendon, this story has nothing to do. But upon the quiet background of his business career, he had lived an active intellectual and emotional life, and had developed into one of those rare natures, of whom it may be truly said, that they are men— and that they count nothing of what is human foreign to themselves but the serenity of peter's retrospect was unmarred by any passing cloud those who dwell in darkness find it easier to remember the bright places in their lives yes sir yes sir Dim watermelons he repeated with unction i can taste em now It was the best watermelons that ever growed sir they don't raise none like em these days no more and then them chinkapin bushes down by the swamp remember them chinkapin bushes where we killed that water moccasin that day he was about ten foot long yes peter he was a whopper then there were the bullis vines in the woods beyond the tanyard show sure nuff sir. and the minnows we used to catch in the creek and them perch in the mill-pond for years the colonel had belonged to a fishing club which preserved an ice-cold stream in a northern forest for years the choicest fruits of all the earth had been served daily upon his table yet as he looked back to-day no shining trout that had ever risen to his fly had stirred his emotions like the diaphanous minnows caught with a crooked pen in the crooked creek no luscious fruit had ever matched in sweetness the sour grapes and bitter nuts gathered from the native woods by him and Peter in their far off youth. Yes, suh yes, suh Peter went on. And remember that time you and young Moss Jim Wilson went huntin' and fishin up the country together, and got tired of waitin' on yourselves, and writ back for me to come up to wait on you and cook for you? And old Moss say he didn't dare let me go way off yonder with two careless boys like y'all with guns and boats for fear i might get shot or drown it looked peter as though he valued you more than me more than his own son yes sir. yes sir. Show he did sure he did old moss philip was a monstrous careful man and i was worth something sir. them times i was worth five hundred dollars any day of the year but nobody wouldn't give five hundred cents for me now, sir. They'd want pay for takin' me, most likely. There ain't none too much room for a young nigger no more, let alone a old one." "'And what have you been doing all these years, Peter?' asked the Colonel. Peter's story was not a thrilling one. It was no tale of inordinate ambition, no odyssey of a perilous search for the prizes of life but the bald recital of a mere struggle for existence. Peter had stayed by his master until his master's death. Then he had worked for a railroad contractor, until exposure and overwork had laid him up with a fever. After his recovery he had been employed for some years at cutting turpentine boxes in the pine woods following the trail of the industry southward, until one day his axe had slipped and wounded him severely. When his wound was healed he was told that he was too old and awkward for the turpentine, and that they needed younger and more active men. So when I got my leg cured up, said the old man, concluding his story, I come back here where I was born, sir, and where my wife folks used to live, and where my friends used to be. But my wife folks was all in the graveyard, and most of my friends was dead or moved away, and I finds it kind of lonesome, sir. I goes out and picks cotton in the fall, and I does errands and little jobs round the house for folks what'll hire me, and when I ain't got nothing to eat, I can go on to the old house and work in the garden or chop some wood and get a meal or vittles from old Miss Nichols, who's been mighty good to me, sir. She's the barber's wife, sir, what bought our old house. They got more than any other colored folks round here, but they helps to the pole, sir. They helps to poe.' "'Which speaks well for them, Peter. I'm glad that all the virtue has not yet gone out of the old house.' The old man's talk rambled on like a sluggish stream, while the colonel's more active mind busied itself with the problem suggested by this unforeseen meeting. Peter and he had both gone out into the world, and they had both returned. He had come back rich and independent, what good had freedom done for peter in the colonel's childhood his father's butler old madison had lived a life which compared to that of peter at the same age was one of ease and luxury how easy the conclusion that the slaves lot had been the more fortunate but no peter had been better free there were plenty of poor white men and no one had suggested slavery as an improvement of their condition HAD PETER REMAINED A SLAVE, THEN THE COLONEL WOULD HAVE REMAINED A MASTER, WHICH WAS ONLY ANOTHER FORM OF SLAVERY. THE COLONEL HAD BEEN EMANCIPATED BY THE SAME TOKEN THAT HAD MADE PETER FREE. PETER HAD RETURNED HOME POOR AND BROKEN, NOT BECAUSE HE HAD BEEN FREE, BUT BECAUSE NATURE FIRST AND SOCIETY NEXT, IN DISTRIBUTING THEIR GIFTS, HAD BEEN NIGGARDLY WITH OLD PETER. HAD HE BEEN BETTER EQUIPPED, OR HAD A BETTER CHANCE, HE MIGHT HAVE MADE A BETTER SHOWING. The Colonel had prospered because, having no Peters to work for him, he had been compelled to work for himself. He would set his own success against Peter's failure, and he would take off his hat to the memory of the immortal statesman who, in freeing one race, had emancipated another and struck the shackles from a nation's mind. End of section Three recording by James K. White Chula. Vista.